One thing that I think is really, really important is the way that you talk about the community. Is there a way that you can get people to invest in the community before they're in the experience? So you're making it clear that if they join the community, something is going to also be expected of them because a community is not just about you coming and getting value for yourself. So you want people to be there to also add value. You're listening to Art of the App. I'm your host, Michelle Cherian. Each episode, you'll get creative inspiration from mission-driven startup founders, investors, and other experts disrupting the status quo. Hear about the thought processes and values that help guide them from early ideas to the standout products and brands that people love. Looking to learn from others creating a massive impact in the world? Welcome to Art of the App. Welcome, everyone. In today's episode, I speak with Tatiana Figueredo. Tatiana is a community strategist and business coach. She is the founder of Business of Community, a newsletter and consultancy helping founders build profitable membership communities and cohort-based courses that are engines for connection and belonging. In this episode, Tatiana and I discuss the three levels of community experience that really instill belonging, the differences between building a free and paid community, how having a bit of friction in the beginning of the engagement even in a free group, helps the person to feel more invested and thus participate more. And then the biggest mistakes community leaders are making in their community dynamics. Tatiana also has a great ritual for Zoom calls that she shares at the end. If you enjoy the podcast, please scroll up and subscribe. That's the number one way that we can grow and reach more people. All right, let's dive in. Tatiana, welcome. I'm so excited to dig into this all community stuff with you. I know that you have a lot of expertise in, in different things, but I was wondering what led you to gain the expertise that you are now really pursuing with community creation and really helping other people create their communities. Thanks for having me. It's cool to have these types of conversations. So starting from the the very beginning, I think all community builders have these origin stories about what really drives them to think about connection and think about connecting with other people. And for me, it's being from another country and moving to the U.S. when I was 10. That's like what I call like my community builder origin story. So I've always approached things in that way because that was like a moment of like lack of connection, lack of belonging in in my life. And I think that everything that comes after that has that as an ongoing theme. So when I started my career, I started in sales and the way I approached sales was very much in a community buildery way. And then as I moved into product, I was leading a team of engineers and of designers and people who are building a product for big enterprise companies. The way I approached that job was also as a community builder and the product that we were working on was around connection. It's a theme that kind of runs through my career. When you you said you were in a sales job and you approached it in a community buildery way, what would be an example of that? When I was at that job, for example, I was selling TV shows to broadcasters internationally. I was 23, just out of college and Everyone who I was selling to, who I had to like appear as an expert to, was like at least 10 years older than me. And everyone else who had my job at other companies were 
also a lot older than me. As a firstborn daughter, I was always used to being like, oh, I'm just going to know more than everyone else. And I'm just going to show up (laughs) by like being extra prepared. And it just wasn't going to work in sales and selling to these people. We would meet each other at different conventions. So we would travel to a lot of the same places. And what I started to do was co-host these big dinners. So both between people who were clients and people who were kind of my counterparts at other companies, we all had this like real communal way of approaching sales. And a lot of us were actually competitors, but we would always kind of help each other and get on the phone if something was going on. So it was very much a community, like we were building a community, even though we were all salespeople or people who were buying TV shows. Wow. That's amazing from the sales angle of it is that, yes, you are always pretty competitive in in sales. Being in a community of it it takes probably a lot of edge off of the selling process, even within the community to your prospects, all of it. Part of it is like it was a unique product that we were selling. We were selling rights to TV shows. It was a lot about building those relationships because we needed the clients to watch the shows and then determine whether they liked them or not. So we weren't actually like directly competing against each other because we all had different products. But yeah, it was a lot about building these longer term relationships. So yeah, it was a it was a really good experience and a nice introduction to work world. Once you approached the sales job and then the product job, what actually had you zero in on being a community builder as your thing that you wanted to take forward? When I got into tech, I was like transitioning from one industry that was very insular, like the TV industry, specifically like international sales is pretty small. And I wanted to transition into tech and I got this job as like a first hire at a startup where I was doing all the jobs. I didn't have a ton of coworkers because we were still a really small team. I started going to a lot of events, mostly in person in New York. I started to see the ones that I liked the best and the ones that I didn't feel as comfortable in. So I started kind of learning about it as a person who was attending them. And then I got involved in organizing one that I eventually ended up leading for over four years. And it was a community for women in tech called Tech Fest Club. And we had monthly breakfasts that we would host for women in tech. We eventually did a big dinner series and we started hosting bigger and bigger events. While I was doing that and leading my own community in my job in product The product that we were building was also around connection, but in my job, it was about connecting people within these big companies. So it ended up being a peer coaching product, which means that we would connect people to uh, strangers within their companies. As I was thinking about it from a community builder's perspective, I was also thinking about it in terms of like programmatically, how do you do that within a company also? That's how I started to kind of connect the ideas and see where things that I was doing in the meetup that I was doing, had what they had in common with the kind of connections that was happening within these big companies. And that's when I started to think a lot more about community, both as someone who was participating in them and someone who was leading them. 
Yeah. And what were some of the overlaps that were characteristics of the ones that were really successful and that you had a good experience with? One of the things that I started to see is that a community where people really feel like they belong, they address experiences at three different levels. So at the big group experience, which is like, this is why we're all getting together. And this is what everyone in this community has in common. So within the community, that's like the message the CEO puts forth, what the overall goals of the company are. Within a community, it's the same thing. What are your values? What do we all have in common? And then there's another level, which is like the small group level, which is like, how do we sort ourselves? What are some people who have the same goals as I do? And how can we keep each other accountable? How can we be supported? Within a big company, the equivalent is the team relationships and what are our team goals? What are our team personality? Lastly, there's the the one-on-one relationships, which are also really, really important to any type of community. And within the company, the most important of the one-on-one relationships is the relationship between a manager and their direct report. Within the community, in order for the community to feel complete and in order for someone to really feel like they belong to the group, it's important for them to have touch points at all those three levels. And I started to see that match no matter what kind of community that it was. That's really interesting. I can see these like circles going out from the center of like one-to-one, small group, and then this large shared emotional connection that we all believe in. We're all coming together around this one cause or identifying factor of us, which is really interesting. Yeah. How we can both be one-on-one relationships and then part of the group. So I'm interested in talking about what are the, I guess, like differences that you see in the paid and free communities. So a lot of people listening are startup founders or part of maybe like a product, which you've been a part of. And especially now, it's very popular to be building a community. That product may be paid for, maybe even a free app. You know, but there's a community possibly around it. Those people have opted in to maybe being part of the utility, maybe being part of the community, but they're not necessarily paying for it. And then we have communities like what we met through actually, which is a community of entrepreneurs. It's a paid community. There's a, you know, a shared value system. It has all those the three layers of the the circle that you talked about of one-to-one small group, and then this larger shared identity. But I would love to hear your experience with the differences in building the paid and the free community. In a lot of ways, paid communities are a lot more straightforward because if you have a paid community, then the community is at the core of your business model, what people are paying you for is the community. So in terms of making decisions, in terms of building that community, your customer and your members are the same people and what they're paying for is the same thing versus free communities, which often are what some people call brand communities. Brand communities from the work of Carrie Melissa Jones. She wrote a really great book about that concept specifically. That's usually when a company that has a product that may or may not be 
related to, to community starts to gather people in community. So some of like the historical examples of this are like Salesforce's community, WordPress, Duolingo. It has a really vibrant community of people who are learning languages together. So none of those are paid communities because community is just something that's helping the core product that the company sells. Yeah, it's helping the brand. These people identify with that brand. And so them showing up is like, you also identify with this brand and we're going to be in community together. Yeah, exactly. The difference between the two is that in a free community, you have to be aware that not everyone, people aren't as invested in the community as they would be in a paid community. That's totally fine. In both cases, it's really important to very clearly define how the community fits into the overall goals of the business. So if it's a free community, what part of the business is it helping? Is it part of retaining members? Is it part of attracting new members? Is it to get a better sense of where the product should go? So is it more in a product research kind of capacity? But what in terms of the the people who come to, to the free communities, it tends to be a lot. I don't love the word engaged, but it is what we use to to measure what communities are working and aren't. So it tends to be a little bit less, quote unquote, engaged than a paid community would be because it took less investment for people to make it into the community. But that doesn't mean that it's not useful to the business. And that doesn't mean that the community is not doing its part in helping the customer or the member achieve whatever their goals are with the product that they did buy. So they're just different and they usually have different levels of engagement, but it varies a lot across communities like everything else. (laughs) In your experience of working on the free communities, Has there been any tactics that you've used to get people more invested in being part of that experience? One thing that I think is really, really important is the way that you talk about the community. So if it's a free community and people aren't paying with money, is there a way that you can get people to invest in the community before they're in the experience? So what are the ways that you're making it clear that if they join the community, something is going to also be expected of them because a community is not just about you coming and getting value for yourself. So you don't want a community where people are just logging in to say like, there's a bug on this app and something is not working. You want people to, to be there to also add value. So the way that you market the community, even if it is internally with your users is super important for the engagement that you'll see within the community. It's about adding a little bit of friction, which is counterintuitive to how you usually market things. Like usually you want to make it as easy as possible for people to cross that threshold and join whatever it is that you want them to join. But in this case, you want to make it really clear. This is what this experience is. You are invited. We want you to join. But if you join, this is what's going to be expected of you. And adding that little bit of friction makes it so that not 100% of people are going to cross that threshold and come to the other side. But the ones who do are going to feel more invested and they're going to be the ones that come back more often. 
Yes, I love that. That makes all the difference when you have a commitment in a way from that person that they're going to participate. Even if they don't, they had an intention to when they opted in. So even if they eventually opt out, they have it on their mind that, yeah, okay, I do want to do this. It puts it in a different realm for them than if it's like, okay, just join this. Whenever you get too many things that are just, okay, you can be part of this. There's no boundary on, oh, this is for me. This is not for me. Okay. Well, if it's for everyone, then all of a sudden, well, it's not as exciting. (laughs) And so that kind of limiting and really needing to opt in and say, yes, I do want to be a part of this makes it all the more meaningful, which I think is a really important part of the community experience. And it also makes it so that your job as the community builder is less stressful from the beginning because you've taken some pressure off of you because you're saying this is an investment that you're making when you're joining this community. And it's also up to you whether this works out for you or not. And not in a fear-based way, not in the like, if you if this fails, it's all your fault, but much more in uh, we're doing this together and we're inviting you to come on this journey with us. Yeah. In the, you get out of it, what you put into it motto. So when you're starting out with a community, maybe you already have a company and then you want to start a community, or maybe you're starting from scratch and you want to build a community. Going back to this whole idea of like the friction and membership and kind of keeping it bounded. How do you think about size? Like, especially if the company is large. You know, my first intuition is like, okay, start small, kind of invite people in and do things that kind of build up that culture. But I'd love to hear from you, like how define a good size. Assuming, I guess, you have an audience already and maybe you already have a product that people are using and you want to launch a, a community for that product. So what you're saying is you want to connect people who are using your product to each other. So that's that's one of the goals of the community you're going to launch. But then what I would do is think about what are the other goals and how is this fitting into the product and what else you're doing. The next conversation, so when people come to me and I work with them to launch a new community, the next conversation we have is what are your community values, which seems really squishy and it seems like it's not something that's like super concrete and that you're able to pin down. But what I do is we determine kind of two top values of the community that they're building. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but it's like basically two words and it can be defined in however makes the most sense for for their community. And then you use that to make every single other decision that comes after that. So including the decision of how big should this first group be? How big should our beta group user be? If your top value is curiosity, what does that say about the number of people? If your top value is inclusivity, what does that say about the number of people that you should bring in at first? I think it can vary a lot depending on the goals and depending on what those values are. But I will say like you want to get the people who are going to be really invested at first. So as soon as you determine what those goals are and what those values are, the top like 10 people who 
would be a good representation of those values should already come to mind. Can you reach out to those people one-on-one and see if they want to take this next step, like extend an invitation to them to go a little bit deeper with your product, gather them together and see where that goes. The community grows out from those first people that you think of when you think about that. You have a community. What are like your values? And then how did you determine like how to use those in starting your community? So the community that I run is connected to my course, which is build a community business. So what I recommend is that you start with your own values. So that's what I did. And I started with my list of top five values that are my personal values. They are connection, self-actualization, curiosity, creativity, and going slow. So those are my top five values. And again, that's how I do my own values, but your values can be a sentence. They can be a feeling. The idea is that these are going to help you decide things as you figure out your life. And then as you build out your, your community business. So those are mine. And then it came time to decide what the values would be for the community. I looked at my values. I looked at what was important to me. The community values don't necessarily have to come from your own values, but you should know how they're connected to your own values if it's something that is going to be something that you're going to be working on. With the build a community business, I thought about what was important in order for people to be successful within the course and in order for people to progress and really build a successful community business. The aim of the course is that slowly we're changing the way we value connection as something that we pay for and as something that you can build a business around and really build a living based on. The way that I believe that you do that is by really getting to know yourself and by really becoming the person that you're meant to be. Self-actualization, which was in my personal values, I knew that that was one that I was playing with as the top value. The other one that I ended up landing on was connection for the community. So the top two values are self-actualization and connection. What's important about that is the ones I didn't make the top two. So for example, curiosity, which was in my top values, something like learning, something like being nerdy, which is also in some of my values. All of those things didn't make the top two values for the community which means that when I have a decision to make in terms of the course, which I have already had to make a bunch of these decisions, when I'm deciding whether to do something in order to make sure that people understand a concept better, or if it's make sure people are connecting to each other more, I always have to choose the connecting to each other more, even though learning is a very much a part of the community and it's why they're there is to learn the way that that happens is always through self-actualization and connection, not necessarily through some of the values that I felt like were further down on the list. So that's just like an example of a way that use your values in your day-to-day to really make decisions within the community. Yeah. Awesome. What are some of the common mistakes that you see people make when they are starting to build a community? The one that I already mentioned, marketing community as if it's a product or 
some kind of thing that you buy, I think you have to be really upfront about the investment that people are making when they join the community. So the community that we're both in, Dreamers and Doers, where, where we met, there's a really long application for you to be able to join and not everyone makes it into the community. And I think that that's a much better way of being onboarded onto a community than just everyone is in here and this is for everyone. Like to your point earlier, that tends to feel like, oh, this is for everyone. I find that that's counterintuitive for a lot of people because they're used to the product launch formula and like the way that you just sell things on the internet and community has to be a lot more about the investment on the other side because the members are not only the people who are buying what you're selling, but they're also what people are buying. They're also the community, which is what people are buying into. So it's important to be thoughtful because as you acquire more and more members, those members are also the product that you're selling. I love the way that you said that, that the members are also what you're buying. And that's so true, especially when we're investing in a network or investing in community, investing in really learning from people and growing together. That's a huge part of it. That's a great yeah note on that. Some of the other very tactical mistakes I see people make is if they have a community platform, this is more of like a a user experience thing. A lot of people just give people too many options on where they can post something. And that tends to overwhelm people and it tends to cause people not to post anywhere because they're not sure exactly where they're supposed to post. So that's a thing that almost everyone who I talk to who is trying to figure out community, a mistake that they've made. And then the other thing I think is a lot of people are looking for community best practices. And I think it's good. I teach a course on community building. I think there are some frameworks and there are best practices, but community building is closer to like making friends than it is to like a very strategic, like this is how you do marketing or this is how you do sales or anything else more concrete. It should involve much more of your own personality. The community builder is going to have like the better ideas than I can have for their community because they know more about their people. The weirder, the better, I always say, the ideas within community. So it's good to like see what other people are doing and get inspired, but always go back to what's important to you and your own kind of personality and how you make friends and what connection means to you and always connect that back to you because it's always going to be a better experience if you're like really leading with your human self and people are kind of learning from seeing how you're showing up. You also attract more people that you want to hang out with. What's one community out there that you that you know of that you're just like, wow, they're doing a great job. They're really crushing it. I mentioned them already. I think Dreamers and Doers is a great example of a community that's doing a lot of things right. They started over eight years ago. It's a community for women entrepreneurs. In terms of like the business side, I think one of the things that I think they do really well is that they built a lot of value, not just within the community, but within the whole membership experience. There are perks that are involved that are included with your membership. 
There are visibility opportunities, so the ability for you to get featured in other places. So what they've done really well is they identified who their ideal member would be of the community. And then they, over the years, found more and more ways of helping those people, more and more more ways of doing that at scale. The price of their membership has been growing ever since they started because they've been adding more and more value to the membership as it's been growing. I think they're a really good example, both from the, the business side, because I think it's really smart, the different things that they've added to their membership, but also from the community experience side. I think they do a lot of core things, right? The weekly email that they send is perfect, and it's a really good way for you to connect back into the community. Their community platform, it never feels like you've missed too many things. Like It feels like you can just hop back on if you haven't been there for a month and just interact with people, meet people one-on-one, attend an event. Yeah, Dreamers and Doers is often my example for a community that's doing a lot of things, right? Yeah. There are so many communities right now that are popping up, cohorts, paid communities like Dreamers and Doers and many other ones, yours, communities along with courses that are really short-term, longer cohorts that are going together over time. This idea of uh, like the facilitator or the community manager it's just growing in that role and it's kind of stepping into this place that it's become, you know, now something that everyone's looking for. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like, what is the future of one of this role? And I can totally see there being like a chief community officer soon in a, in a lot of businesses. But yeah, I would love to hear your idea of like future forecasting on this. Well, whenever I'm talking about anything that has to do with community we're talking about community now, mostly on the internet and mostly things that are happening online. I often try to find parallels that are offline and how were people doing this offline in the past and what could this look like? During the, the women's movement, for example, there were a ton of women's clubs who ended up leading the, the fight to get votes for women. That was like, you were a member of maybe like one core club, but you were also, I imagine you were able to go to events at other clubs and the clubs also kind of interacted with each other. And there was a way for you to tap into a smaller community, but you were also kind of a part of this bigger movement, which also speaks to that like big group, small group, and then the people you were meeting one-on-one. So I think about that. I think about how my own relationships have been built. So I have my friends from high school who I'm still friends with. I have a group chat with them, but then I also have like people I've met in college and people who I've worked with at different companies, the different one-on-one relationships I take from one place and then the different groups that I'm a part of. I think that as we, within more and more online communities, I think right now it's a little bit overwhelming because as you said, there's a lot of things launching and it feels like there are a bunch of different communities that you would want to be a part of. But I think that as you think about like your history as a friend, like what does it look like for you? Maybe in college, you were like friends with a ton of people and you were seeing a ton of people, but then not all of those relationships are relationships that kind of continue as you get older. With that, what's the parallel 
within communities. So maybe you join a community right now, you meet a ton of people through that community, and then slowly over time, you understand how you fit into that group. And maybe you kind of take a step back from that community, but then you join another cohort-based course and you're not as engaged in the first community because you're like fully involved in this one. And then maybe you take away a couple of friends from that one and you move on to the another one. It's messy, just like real life is messy. So I think from participant perspective, I think it's just an adjustment, but it's an adjustment that we're used to because this is like life is managing relationships. I always encourage people to apply what they do in their real life to what they're doing in these online communities. From the perspective of leadership and of community managers, what I hope and what I talk about and what I want to happen is that community managers are paid for the value that they bring to a company because they're one of the lowest paid employees within companies. They're usually seen as like the most junior employees at a company. They're often confused for social media managers who are just as important, but just a different role and are different. What we can do is like define the role better and also better compensate them so that it's a line of work that more and more people want to get to. Also like talk about the hard parts of connecting people and doing this like very emotional work of building a community and value those parts of it also so that those people are getting enough rest and those people are being valued for for the contributions that they're bringing. What I hope is that all of that will happen and eventually every company will have a chief community officer. They'll be paid as much as, let's say, the average employee at a company. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned there was the emotional toll that it takes. And that's not something that I had thought about before. Yeah. A lot of community builders are very burnt out. It's it's a really hard job because if you forget to do something, it's not just like a spreadsheet that didn't get updated. It's a person who didn't get to hear from you that day and that felt ignored. Belonging is really, really fragile. So something can happen within a community that just makes people feel excluded. And then it's really hard to get that person back. It's emotional labor that community builders are doing. And a lot of emotional intelligence to really succeed in that role. Exactly. What's one actionable tip that you can give listeners in terms of building community? I think that building community is all about reflecting on what connection and belonging means to you. I think it's like the one person you should be listening to is yourself when it comes to that. All your stuff comes to the forefront. So everything that you haven't dealt with, everything that you (laughs) haven't yet kind of talked about, everything kind of comes out. So the more you can kind of process your stuff, reflect on what all these things mean to you. The, the better you're going to be at making those decisions and at building the community that feels right for you. That's something that I emphasize over and over again, like the build the thing that is going to be right for you specifically. All right, let's go to our lightning round. Who or what are you learning from right now? So right now I'm learning Notion from Marie Poulin. So I'm taking Notion Mastery which has been a really fun experience because Marie is also taking my course and I'm taking her course at the same time. So 
for my little nerdy heart, it's been really nice to kind of learn from someone who is also learning from me. It's like a nice knowledge exchange. (laughs) Very cool. What's a routine, ritual, or habit that's improved your life? Before I get on a Zoom call, if I can remember, I'll put my hand on my heart and I'll just take one really deep breath and I'll set the intention of connecting on that call. It changes the way the call goes because I'm much more present. I'm much more clear on why I'm there. I'm there to connect with the person who I'm talking to. Doing this kind of work pushes you to really walk the talk. That's one small thing that I I recommend that everyone does and that has really helped me. Hmm, I love that. What advice would you give a young person entering their career? I think that if you're just entering your career, it's important to try a lot of stuff. Be really open to connecting with people. One thing that I didn't do enough when I was younger is ask for help. Be really clear about the things that you don't know, and it's okay to not know things. Reach out and ask people for help. Show that you've done your research, but know that you can also kind of ask for help. People want to be invested in your success. Tatiana, where can people find you? My website is tatfig.com. So you'll find links to everything that I work on there. It's T-A-T-F-I-G.com. That is also my handle on Twitter and on Instagram. So I haven't been posting as much on Instagram at all. My course is called Build a Community Business and you can find it at buildacommunitybusiness.com. Awesome. And we'll put all those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Tatiana. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art of the App. If you liked the episode, please share it with a friend and consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people just like you find the show. You can connect with me on my website at michellecherrying.com or Instagram. The link for both is in the show notes. See you next week.